we were just trying to get this thing done before 10, right? What's happening at 10? My Tuesday morning book club. I like to get there at like between 10 and 10.02. Right. Just because you got to have time to pour that glass of wine. <laughs> right. For my morning. So it's one of my church book clubs and we read a lot of stuff about indigenous environmental rights, stuff like that. And we stepped off that track to read one about the power of fun. And so, like, they're daytime books, right? They're not fiction. The power of fun. I think you and I already talked about this. I don't want to impugn the author because the author is a social science researcher. And she put just a metric shit ton of research into what actually constitutes fun. She has some great points. Like the first couple chapters of the book are very interesting because what she says is, first of all, people think that they're having fun when they're doing things that are accomplishing something and that that's not like genuine fun. So she tries to distill like what is fun. But then there's like 250 pages of her telling you how to figure out what is fun for you and how to bring more of that into your life. And I was like, yeah, I don't need that. The whole thing could have been a magazine article to me because I did think I hadn't <laughs> previously thought about the difference between actual fun and things that I do because they're accomplishments. It sounds like it could have been an email, frankly. <laughs> well, it could have been a great magazine article, you know, like, whatever. The, the yeah. main takeaway, I think, is the whole idea that we're told what to believe is fun. There's fun to yes. keep up appearances, and there's fun that genuinely makes your soul lighter. You know, that and is her entire point. That's the entire book. You just and that's why I always come back to that quote from Dave Grohl. At least that's where I got it from. But it's mm -hmm. basically he was asked once, like, "What's your guilty pleasures among your music tastes?" And he said, "There is no such thing as a guilty no. pleasure. If there's you like pleasure. it, then just like it and listen to it and own it and love it." The end. Yeah. So that's what the book is. But the beauty of the daytime weekly book club is we'd read a chapter every week. So if you get behind, you can catch up easily. If you miss a meeting, oh, wow. you get something that's else going lenient. on, it's no big deal. You yeah. just catch up the next week, right? That pace has been really, really nice. With this one chapter a week, it's just low and slow and <laughs> it's fantastic. We finish like... It's the barbecue of book clubs. Right, exactly. <laughs> and we finish three books a year, but it's fine. There have been a couple that we started and got like two chapters into and we were like yeah nobody's getting anything out of this let's just bail see that's clever if you can just collectively just sit back and say you know what dnf yeah a yeah. chapter a week it can be kind of glacial i guess but I, I, again it's like if the group agrees well, then go but, for it okay but we're reading nonfiction, so a lot of those chapters are 50 pages and I think 50 right. pages in a week is completely reasonable. If it was like, you know, if we were reading like, um, oh, God, what was that horrible? Um, oh, the Da Vinci Code, where the chapters are all three pages long, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like three pages a week and it would take us five years to get through it. And at the end, but it that's why Dan like, Brown made fiction. a career out of pacing, right? Yeah. yeah the whole point was there's like 2,000 cliffhangers in the book. <laughs> so now you haven't said anything about my hat yet. Uh, well, I haven't said anything about your hat because nobody who's listening to this is going to be able to see your hat. I don't. Well, it wasn't meant for that. It was meant for you to, as a conversation topic. This is a podcast, Doug. So, what is the B two B trail? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> now, this was part of the free swag that I got when I went to the bike summit over the weekend. The bike. Because I really wanted to took take to heart what we talked about last week about joining things oh, okay. and particularly joining things that meet regularly. Right. And have oh, meetings. And you like biking. I was like, why would you go to this? Cause you know, I don't like biking, but I forgot you like biking. Yes. So this makes I was sense one of the first riffs in our relationship. Like soon after we got married, you said, I'll never get on a bike as long as I live. And I was I like, I'll Oh, never get on a bike. <laughs> I just don't enjoy being on a bike ever. Right. B2B is the border-to-border -border trail, which runs through Ann Arbor and, this, and goes way out of town. I mean, you could bike all the way out to Dexter to get donuts, and you can go farther west So it's than really that. the B2BB trail because it's the border-to-beyond-the-border trail. You're overthinking it, but you're not wrong. <laughs> the funny thing is, it's just it's mostly complete, but there are parts of it that will never be complete because you've got 
uh, homeowners associations. You've got wealthier people up north in the Barton area. You've got Amtrak, which has a train running through. Oh. But at the same time, it's a ball. It just it followed the prescription. Find something you love to do and then find your people who love to do it. The funny thing is there's like all these disparate institutions and organizations that all know each other, but they're all working separately. And it's like they're doing what they can, but it's all volunteer and people have lives and they're just trying to figure stuff out. And there's no one bulletin board that kind of indicates all the things that are going on, all the races, all of the events, all the ways to get involved and learn more about why businesses are fighting against bike paths. That's really amazing. You know what? You should start a weekly newsletter called Bike News. That's what and I was saying. I'm like, this is what news. I do. I network people. Exactly. And just write yep. some little sub stack that puts out, here are all the events you can go to. Here are all the issues everyone's voting on this month. See, and this is how I figured out the best way to make friends. Just insert yourself <laughs> in an incredibly disorganized mess of people. <laughs> Organize them up because you have to deal with everybody. It's great. It's not wrong at all. <laughs> um, okay, can we talk about Helen Jane? Because I didn't know Helen Jane before we interviewed her. You did. You've been friends with her for a long time. And you were like, yeah, she's this lady who moved from a community she loved in California back home to Green Bay, Wisconsin, which she gotten away less affection for yes yeah i mean i feel like a lot of people feel like they got away from their hometown and so the voluntary decision to move back to take care of her parents and bring her husband and her kids it was a big decision you know when i moved back to the midwest when we moved to ann arbor after living in new york for so long i was like thrilled to see all my friends I mean, there were people that I didn't like. My enemies from high school are still my enemies. But, you know, like I had a lot of people (laughs) to come. Palace intrigue in Toledo, Ohio. Exactly. To come home and see and hang out with. This wasn't like that. It was a serious decision to trade a lot of like emotional quality of life and social quality of life for the ability to take care of her parents and live in a place that was a little bit more affordable. And buy their parents' house, yeah. Yeah. Because in America and the 21st century, a lot of people can't afford to live where they work. Right. You know, like, I don't want to say this is a sad story. It's not this tragic story of this woman who had to move to Wisconsin, right? But it was, (laughs) like, I do think the story was affected by the fact that they moved right in the hot and heavy middle of the pandemic when nobody was going anywhere. So it wasn't even like they could arrive in town and start finding out, like, where were their favorite restaurants? Where did they like to hang out? You know, just find their place like that because they were kind of stuck inside. And that's the point, though. I mean, it's a story about it's it's sacrifice. It's duty. It's economic reality. It's a great story. She's funny as shit, too. Like, that's the thing. She's really funny. That's what she's getting by on, essentially. Oh my God, are there some like really funny, really snarky, progressive women in Green Bay who want to just be her friends because she's really funny? If you live in Green Bay and have progressive ideals and don't know (laughs) Helen Jane Hearn, please DM us for her personal information and we'll we'll facilitate that. And then she'll write her novel and it will be extraordinary and I will read it one chapter at a time. discussion about northern midwest women of a certain age yeah and i'll just go and do all my shopping (laughs) (laughs) so welcome back from dc how was your weekend alone oh it was a beautiful week it was working with sponsors working with influencers all that stuff i've been doing for years it just happens to be from an association perspective so it was great How has that changed? I mean, I haven't worked with influencers for a while. Clearly, that was my life for a long time. Yeah. Um, But it seems now, as threatened as the middle class of influencing was, now it seems like it's either you are a powerhouse or you're sweeping up. And that's exactly 
where it was for us actually economically and why we ended up moving to Green Bay. And it's from an influencer perspective where it is. The numbers changed, I think, where it was you needed to be accessible to millions on TikTok and like some various platforms, like that's where that changed. There was always the hope, I think, when we were in our blogging time of, you know, my 500 monthly folks are going to, they're targeted to me and that's what's important. They're engaged and like that just can't compete with the scale of millions and millions and millions of people. But that's when you lose your engagement. That's when you lose that authenticity. So it's just a different game. I have yet to meet a happy influencer or a satisfied influencer. Yeah, because all of your work is still pinned to a third-party platform over which you have zero control. Totally. And they could just shut you down on a whim and then you call about it and uh, your call is very important to us. We'll be back with you in six months. Totally. So it's been fun to go into the world of B2B influencing or like having a day job basically is the Mm -hmm. point is that like I'm not in there trying to push individual folks to get them their cash. It's Right. Well, I care a little bit less about that and more about how you enjoyed your solo hotel room. Oh, there is a scene in Date Night with Tina Fey and I think mm-hmm. it's, and it, it, she talks about like going into a hotel room and just sitting down and ordering a diet sprite from room service <laughs> and how that is like all she wants. And that was in that time when like the kids are four to five to six yeah. jumping in yeah. on you every morning season. Like, yes, I just want to break from people touching me. But then when you've got, you know, one of your kids' boyfriends breaks up with them. It's a whole different scene when you're away and it's not the same and you want to be there for them and you want to be helping them through that. So it was good, but I did miss the first big breakup and that was rough. You know, when your kids have those real firsts, if you miss them, you feel two things. You feel like the worst parent in the world, right? But you also feel that sadness that you missed it for yourself, Mm -hmm. right? But then- when they're having those firsts, when they're old enough to realize it, like the first breakup, the first college acceptance, they go to the grocery store and you know for you and you text them a picture of the loyalty UPC number and they get your discount at the grocery store and stuff like that. <laughs> totally. Like they really actually care that you're there for that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just about you feeling like that first it's like they really actually care whereas they don't care who's them walk for the first time they don't know they don't care right they don't know but didn't that feeling kind of dissipate after 15 years of divorce i mean just like i mean empty nesting i am so much more ready for empty nesting because i've been co-parenting for 15 years it's a recommendation i really think all of you intact couples out there just consider splitting up because this time of life is a little easier I mean, it does make it so much easier when they want to go away to school. When your kids are living in two households, you have already developed your communication methods with them, right? It's not like if you're not there with them for a 12-hour period, they don't know how to get in touch with you. But no, Doug, I mean, there were some things that if you did their first, it bothered me. But for a lot of things, I kind of, by the time they were that old, I just sort of felt like you were my proxy and I was your proxy. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't upset when they lost teeth, when they were at your house and our younger one. Because you were on speakerphone whenever I took him to the doctor. Right, exactly. (laughs) And like that also was a feminist issue for me. I was like, there is not a single conversation that any doctor in the world can have with me about my child that I am not going to feel gleeful that I didn't have to show up for and their male parent took them to, right? (laughs) But, you know, like, and our younger child left for prom from your house, that kind of stuff. But I I still came and took pictures and stuff like that, right? If you and I had had a different relationship, I might have been upset about missing some of those first. But it was more like, is one of us there to talk the kid through it? And we were very lucky. We yeah. did have a parent who is very skilled at breakups and was able to <laughs> to talk her through it. And also we're on the same page of it, right? We weren't on mm-hmm. the, you know, did you try dressing sluttier? Like that is not, that was yeah. something what? I could trust. <laughs> that like wasn't going to be a part of the, <laughs> the advice. So your husband didn't say, you know, all right, well, he broke up with you. What did you, did do, you do? Right. No. <laughs> They're young. 
it's a first thing. It's got big feelings, but like my trip was very much sitting on the edge of my bed, sipping an ice cold diet Sprite. But then you've got this other piece that's a little more complicated than it used to be, which is like, crap, can I help guide you through this? (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing up Date Night, the movie. I think that's underrated. I Um, agree. And it's interesting. I'm glad to have you on right after we talked to Jessica Ashley, just because we talked a lot with her about caregiving and how gendered it is. And she referenced a lot of the work she's done. She has a master's uh, in women's studies from Oregon State. Go Beavers. Um, and, um, and you all, this is one of your talents. I wish you could monetize it. You somehow know the mascot of the top 500 (laughs) colleges and universities in the U S and probably Canada. It's one of the few aspects of my memory that I have left. So please let me have it. I mean, like anybody mentions any school and you're like, go Wolfpack, go tornadoes. Right. But I was out playing trivia the other night and they asked the question what was the benedict cumberbatch movie where he played alan turing and i couldn't remember it for the life of me even though it's an amazing movie it's the imitation game which i learned afterwards and some dickhead who was googling everything beat us but i'm not well, bitter about that that's that's not okay yeah. yeah and some dude walked away with a 20 dollars gift certificate and we want to flail him with it oh my god you know what i would just come and set up an ipad with like chat gpi on it and just turn it on and let them ask the questions and let the ipad answer gpi is what is it called chat gpt gpt i'm so immersed in the world of of ai what does gpt stand for uh you know the same thing as css nothing (laughs) nothing well then it could be gpi gpi is the next version gpi is 3.0 you well, you talk know? about a leap in yeah. daughter caregiving. Yes. We're going to talk about how Helen Jane yeah. was in the Bay Area and uprooted her entire family to go to the Green Bay Area, <laughs> thinking, you know, how different could it be? It's just an adjective away. It's a, it's a Hallmark movie just waiting to happen. Yeah, and a little reversed. It's, <laughs> yeah, we've been here for three years. We um, spent 20 years in the Bay Area, James and I did. We spent 15 years in St. Helena in the middle of wine country. It was one of those idyllic experiences, a completely walkable town, gourmet food, friendly folks everywhere you went. And all of the people with regular jobs had to move elsewhere Mm. over the past five years. Like it just became untenable if you did not have family money or a business that you owned. Like it was just if you had a regular job, you couldn't live there anymore. So around that time, my parents were needing a little more help. But the problem was I never, ever, ever in a million years wanted to go back to Green Bay. Mm. And I left this place with two middle fingers up. I was like, (laughs) fuck you guys. I have a scholarship. I am on my way. Bye. And then I'm back. And guess what? I don't have any friends. Right. Like, (laughs) and there's a whole thing around here where I don't know, it's some Facebook group. It's very intense. And it's folks that are like, yeah, right. I'm a parent. You can all fuck off. (laughs) That's one group of the parents. But also, I think there's the age that people have kids here is definitely in the like 20 to 24 space. And where I was in California, the age you had kids was in the 38 to 42 space. Mm-mm. And what I'm dealing with right now with my parents is some of the fallout. My parents were 40 and 52 when I was born. So wow. back in the day, that was wow. super old. Like my yeah. mom was too embarrassed to tell them her birthday when she needed to call the ambulance when she was in labor with me because they were going to publish her age in the newspaper and she didn't want anyone to know oh, how old yeah. she was. You know, they used to do that. They used to publish the person's name and age and then baby boy or baby girl. Yep. Is that and a so, Midwestern thing? I never heard of that. Probably. I don't know. I keep learning all of these things that are like not okay in California and that are totally okay here. But what I did recognize with my friends in California was that they were also choosing to have kids after 40 or later in life. And there's a lot of stuff that goes with that, Mm -hmm. that I'm living through right now that is 
when we have a whole part of our society that's not quite set up for that, it's it's mm-hmm. alarming. Where, you know, my mom had a stroke when my kids were two and three. So oh. I never had any parental help with the kids because right. she became wheelchair bound right away. Right. And so she has been in that space for the last, you know, 10 years, needs a tremendous amount of care. Her partner is 90. It's my stepdad, but he's her primary caretaker. But when I'm her primary caretaker, but I also have teenagers, but I also have a husband, but I also have a full-time job, it is an intense amount of support that I think we used to have a lot more help in, or there used to be a lot more. So I I understand. I shot myself in the foot by being like, fuck you guys. I'm never coming back. I'm eating those words, num, 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 every single day. But where I'm worried about it more is the vast majority of my friends who had kids after 40 and aren't quite aware of those biological limitations that they might run into. And so your kids are how old now? 14 and 15. Okay. And you had them. How old were you? 32. So so you were like the kid in California. We had no friends with children for the next 10 years. It was. I know exactly how you feel. I had my heart attack at 47 and all my friends were 70. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Jessica was talking about sort of being trained to deal with the stuff. And I remember feeling like I was being trained when I was a teenager to handle older people. Yeah. You know, because we had these relatives who were in assisted living and nursing homes and stuff like that. And so that's another thing, like all of that immediate stroke stuff and all that kind of stuff, your kids were too little to really be trainable in that. However, we're just dealing out with it right now. I've got a family member getting married and my mom wants to go and she's 89 and in a wheelchair and it's a nine hour or eight hour drive and it's a couple nights stay in a hotel. It's a hopeful burden, but it is a burden. And it was very interesting to me, the immediacy of the response. Why can't your girls help? Why can't your girls take care of her? Why can't your girls be the ones that are getting her in and out of the car and feeding her and responsible for helping her in the bathroom and bathe? And it was one of those, like, I also have a few brothers (laughs) and they are also going to be there at the wedding and they're also going to be there to help. So maybe it doesn't fall on my teen girls to wipe butts and lift in and out of wheelchairs. Maybe... My nephews, my brothers, like maybe some other dudes in the space can do it. I get it. Nobody wants to, but we need to be able to not put it on the chicks of the family. So your brothers are local? Are they nearby? Close-ish. I've got one in Florida and one in Upper that's, Michigan. That's not close. Yeah, that's, that's not, not close. No. I no. mean, he drives Northern up all Florida, the time. at least, like Tallahassee. <laughs> no, I have one in Upper Michigan. I had one in Chicago. He passed away a few years ago, and then I've got one in Florida. So, in... oh, and which side of the bridge in Michigan? Ishpeming, Upper Michigan. Don't you oh. know? Oh, he's a Uper. He's a Uper. It's it's from Wisconsin, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, it's extended Wisconsin up well, there. Well, yeah, but sure. UP should be part of Wisconsin. I and agree. Toledo should be part of Michigan. I agree. Well, see, I moved oh, here. Well, when I moved here, I had to do a lot of reading about the area. It was new to me. So I figured, all right, I'll figure out what the hell's going on. I had to find out what and, the mascots um, were. Yes. <laughs> well, Go that's, Rockets. That's been something so interesting. <laughs> About moving the kids from, okay, we were in wine country, like glorious, weather's perfect. It's Well, it's everything. beer country. It's close. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tom uh-huh. and Jerry country. It's carnivore sandwich country. It's old, it's or old cannibal fashion. sandwich country. Yeah, cannibal sandwich, old fashioned. That was a huge part of my getting used to being here is how much I thought was just me. And how much was cultural. But having had a hard break for over 20 years from this space and then coming back, I'm like, oh, wait, I thought I was just super nosy about what things cost. 
oh no, it's a full culture of like, yeah. how much did you pay for that? Like right. that is the entire part of the culture and it is not a part of the culture in other parts of the country. And so my girls are also realizing some of the things about human interaction that have changed from Northern California yeah. to Northeastern <laughs> Wisconsin. Yeah. The weirdest thing, Magda and I were uh, messaging each other the other day and she actually wrote out Ope. <laughs> and I was like, is this research? What's going on here? From Massachusetts? <laughs> no, I'd never seen that before. She, I mean, we both know what Ope is, but she'd never actually written Ope in a G-chat. I didn't understand that I was saying Ope. I thought I was saying some variation on oops combined with oh. O with a hard glottal stop. That's how it gets you. There are no accidents. That's yeah. what I thought everyone was saying. I thought we were all saying like a hybrid of oops, oh, ugh, something, comma, let me sneak right past you. It has been fascinating watching my husband and children look at me when I fall in to my Northeastern Wisconsin language. It will mm-hmm. be like checking out at Walgreens and it, I'll say, you almost done? And I'll be like... <laughs> Yeah, five minutes left for the day. And I'll like it oh was and, and it's one of those like, okay, that must be fun for you. Oh yeah, tonight I got a 12 pack. We got the game. We're gonna do that. And I can't wait to get the fuck out of here. And that is not a thing that you would ever have an interaction like that with a West Coast service provider. Here it is understood that your job sucks and you can't wait to get out of it. There it's understood that your job sucks, but you have to pretend you love it because you're all about loving what you do. And because if you lose any money, you cannot live because it's so expensive to live there. So you have to pretend. And so there's some of those like minor cultural differences that my daughters have been really aware of that have been fascinating to me to watch them pick up. We could talk about Wisconsin all night, frankly, because I... (laughs) But we also established you do have two brothers, but neither is really close at hand. You're the one who's there in a pinch. Correct. And you're also the one who came from farthest away to be nearest. Correct. So as the daughter in that scenario and as a mother of two daughters, what do you think they're learning from that? And what discussions have you had about it in terms of what we talk about? Like, does responsibility need to default to the females? Oh, Doug. You just went for the jugular on that one. <laughs> um, it is it is so true. Do you need it to is, towel off? We can wait. Just no, you know, take it no. easy. Well, and, and it's tough because there is one part of me, one big slice that says you've got to respect your family and you've got to respect your elders. There is one slice of me, a huge slice that says women should not be responsible for any of this. I have a very equal partner in caretaking and he, even he won't touch the parents. Like even he leaves that to me. It's your parents. You've got to deal with it. It's very fascinating when you don't want your kids to automatically pick up that mantle. However, you also want to have an environment of respect and joy and love around getting to know your elders and being around your elders. One of the things I found with that is, you know, long lead times. We've got grandpa's birthday and that's coming up. And girls, you know that this Saturday in two weeks, you're going to spend the next four hours helping grandpa celebrate his 90th. They might not be happy about it, but they know it ahead of time. And I'm also not going to make them responsible for paper plates, cups, all of the like mental stuff. However, I take that on myself. Well, and you're the so, party planner. I mean, let's you've been the party planner for as long as I've known you. you yes, know. of course. I think you were born with a red solo cup in your hand. <laughs> yes, but like one with like super cool tape on it with like your name, right. or like artistic. If solo yeah. had stemware, yeah. <laughs> but it's been fascinating to watch just as I work with my kids to not have them feel responsible for folks. But then it's where does that responsibility that you actually have end? And so that is a, it's a tussle that I've got in my heart for them. It's, I don't want to have to go down to the scary basement and bring their trash out. That's not fun. But also I had to go while my mom was caring for my grandparents and I did all of those things. I'm just, I'm not sure how to separate yourself from that mess. Well, cause some of it is just being in a family, mm-hmm. but some of it is care work. 
Right. And if yeah. you're, you also have noticed your nephews and brothers never think of the place. Mm-hmm. But also it's like how much mental capacity does it, does it matter that I'm keeping track? There's also a like, fine, I just remember the place. But that's the stuff I don't necessarily want to model for my daughters. But I'm not sure how to do that without making them selfish little rats. I imagine there must have been so many family discussions or attempts at them anyway, because your husband's from California, right? Correct. He grew up in Long Beach, Los Angeles area. So he is out in Wisconsin. He's a fish out of water, too. Yeah. Totally. And it's how good are you at maintaining a a united front when you talk to the girls about the move and about the new responsibilities? We've been very good about it because, well, and that's the thing is that this came with a big perk. We could buy my parents' house. Mm. And so that big perk was worth it. And not a lot of folks who have to move back to the Midwest or have to move back have that perk. So for us, it was, hey, we have this opportunity to purchase a property, which we could never have in California. We can do it here. And that might provide us a semblance of security. And they were cool with it. And I think it was also the timing. We were very careful to move Dottie at fifth grade. We moved Nora at seventh grade. So they were a little before the big puberty push. Mm-hmm. It wasn't pleasant, especially for the older one. It was rough. But younger Dottie, she's totally about it. She loves it here. She can't yeah. imagine being I in another place. The name place. may have to be a part of that. I think if you're a Dottie... Yeah, you love. I have two aunts named Dorothy and then like a bajillion all the way up the chain. So it was adorable. And I love it. And I mean, it's going to be easier for your kids to get into college from Green Bay. I have this whole thing around like, hey, yo, you can't get abortions in Wisconsin. Mm. And I'm not sure if I want you in a college environment where getting pregnant against your will is a possibility. And you guys aren't close to either Michigan, where you're always going to be able to get an abortion, or Minnesota, where you're always going to be able to get an abortion either. Or Chicago. So it is a like, hey, guys, let your friend's parents know, or like, let your friends know if they need that, I'll drive them. Yeah. I also don't want my kids to go to college in state until that's sorted, or until... Those things are locked in. Um, But it's still easier for them to get into any college, like not even there. I mean, I was diversity when I went to college in (laughs) 1990, right? Because I came from Toledo, Ohio. Nobody goes outside of Toledo to go to college. So, you know. No, and it has been cracking me up. I had mentioned to Doug, like, I have my oldest daughter had decided to go to a rural high school. We are on a very little peninsula. And it's all dairy farms, beautiful dairy farms, cherry farms. They even have take your tractor to school day during homecoming, like every year that like. (laughs) Do they separate their tractors? Oh, yeah. It's a whole thing. Wow. So she wants to be an architect. And here they have like all of these programs around contracting, landscaping, drafting. They're built to get kids into trades. And what I'm seeing with how it works They would have both graduated from a California high school with like a whole lot of feelings about English and theater that might not help them have a trade that might not have helped them like build something like that. And so I'm really appreciative of the skill sets that the the high schools here are teaching as opposed to some of the other skill sets I've seen in other places. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if she has this building (laughs) trades, she can get into any architecture program in the country, having had that practical experience. She built us each side tables as her woodshop thing. Wow. But she had to deal in a class where she was the only girl and everyone else only talked about hunting and fishing and the Packers the entire class. Hmm. And so there is a cultural trade-off there when you're, you're talking about that stuff. It's hard to be like, yes, you go take wood shop. And no, you don't have to care for your grandparents. But yes, I want you to be everything you can be. But where's the line about how much you give to your family? That stuff is rough. I don't know how to make those decisions right now. And it's tough. I don't know. You guys might have some ideas. We haven't had to deal with this because all four of our parents are still alive and, you know, have Mm -hmm. some issues. but. 
we aren't caring for them actively, I think it's always easier with boys, even though boys can't wear any color they want to wear and girls can wear any color they want to wear. Still, at the end of the day, it doesn't cause as much inner turmoil for boys to be straddling different worlds. Like, you know, we have a kid who's into musical theater and improv comedy and stuff like that, and he doesn't feel conflicted about it. But he's also into car repair. Right, exactly. And he, he just was, went in and got his brakes fixed and was in there saying like, so what are you doing there? You know, talking shop with the mechanic about his brake pads. <laughs> but also it was because it wasn't like it was all girls and him. It's also that like, hey, you want to be an architect. How do we prepare you for a life in a male dominated space? And so that means you have to have a strong. You move him to Green Bay. Right. <laughs> it's like you have to have a strong sense of self. Like I have one kid who's totally on this athlete bit and one who's on this architect bit and oh who knows it'll all change it'll all be different as it goes but you see those things that motivate them and what doesn't and to try to bridge that when you're looking at a career but it has been very interesting to be going from an incredibly creative and like network space where it was all about your friends and your celebrations to this place that's very seasonally driven like yeah. Again, it is. It's bringing meals to grandparents and taking out their trash. It is winter for a very long time. It is a lot of those things. And so how do you keep that joy running? Okay. And it's not the active pandemic anymore either. I mean, part of it was like you guys moved in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, into a community. Think of all the lack of traffic, though, when you drove. <laughs> <laughs> It was a very strong face diaper community. So to keep people safe, even though everyone was older, it was a very interesting Fox News environment that we had dropped into that was Mm. like, you know, I would go in to do restaurant pickup with a mask on and I would be called like fucking face diaper when I walked in from the other patrons of the place. So I moved from a very liberal Northern California space to a very conservative area and i think that's where you're saying (laughs) there were some changes from that like the the political piece was a huge part for me right and that's there's so many unpredictables there but in many cases you knew you hated it you know but you had some sense of what you were in for at least you thought you did and you had a house to buy at the the tail end which was also a big plus but if you look at where things are now versus where you thought they might be at this point three years ago? What is the most surprisingly different aspect of your life that you didn't see coming? I did not see how much my kids were going to love the outdoors. Uh, We have time. We have space. We get to go enjoy seasons. We get to go to lakes. We get to go hang out in the outdoors. That was not a thing in California when you had to work yourself to the bone to be able to afford it. And if you did go to the outdoors, you were kind of competing with multi-billionaires from San Jose with all of their stuff. And so here you get to have time in nature alone. And so to be able to present my kids with that opportunity and to see how important that is to their well-being, that was huge. There was so much with the wildfires that were there. I have mild asthma, barely any, and I couldn't breathe for almost three years before we moved. Wow. It was just that level of toxic crap in the air. Like, I I just couldn't get through my day. Well, that's good. That's one less thing to deal with. (laughs) Um, I'm actually very happy that your response was something that actually was better and not something like, oh, my God. And it sounds like you've settled into something here. I mean, as you play out this trajectory a bit more you're definitely going to see your kids through high school anyway right when you game this out do you even have the bandwidth to even consider what you might be aiming for once the responsibilities you have in that area calm down yes what a great question and so much of that is around (laughs) when are my parents gonna die (laughs) right that is the jacked up part of this part of the journey that I think so many people are dealing with. My parents may live for five to 11 teen years. They are healthy. They are going, they are kicking, but they also need somebody to make all their food and take out their trash and help them with their incontinence and like the stuff that makes life happy. Okay. I take that all into account. I don't know. 
but ideally my parents will live forever and be healthy and happy. What James and I are looking at is we want to keep our connection to nature in Wisconsin, but we also want to get back to California in the tiniest apartment we could possibly find. I want a studio that's this big that I can keep clean and not have anything around us that we have to deal with. Because right now we moved into my parents' house. We are still processing through the stuff. And I, that's not unusual for anyone with boomer parents or you know, silent generation parents. Like They have a lot of stuff. And so most of my free time is spent getting rid of stuff. And so the golden moment for me is some small beachside apartment with no stuff. Have your parents signed off on that in terms of whenever you get rid of things that they live with or however many years? Are they like, you know what, this is your house now. You do with it and its contents as you see fit or do they still want to weigh in? My mom told me, (laughs) and this is in their tiny assisted living apartment. She will give me a giant bag every time I leave and she's like, please use this. And I will say something like, it might go straight to Goodwill. And she's like, please don't tell me about that. Please pretend that you're going to use it. So that's what I do is I pretend, oh, this is wonderful. I will take this 1982 guide to biblical animals. And it's 12, well, the most Wisconsin book. (laughs) No, it's, it's a series. And I will take these. And yes, mom, I will put these in the house. It is piecemeal. It is, you know, all of my siblings and I have a big cringe about what we have to get rid of and how that process is going to work. I have a sneaking suspicion it will all come to this house, Yeah, you know, and that will continue to be my responsibility. So we're just on a process. Do you have a bunch of leave a book, take a books in your neighborhood? And you can't, you can't just kind of sidle them in there. I have a bunch of them around here and I'm getting rid of books like crazy. And if the bookstore doesn't want them, I'm just kind of leaving all kinds of stuff everywhere. Well, the crazy thing is the ones that are around are very coded politically, right? So it's like there's one outside the Catholic school. All right. Well, I'm not going to put X kind of books there. There is one outside the old art teacher's space from the local community college. Okay, I'm not going to put <laughs> biblical animals there. But like, I, I have love that a- you're whispering when you say these things. Like your neighbors are listening. <laughs> they, they may be. <laughs> I think this is totally part of your learned behavior, living where you are now. Because every time you say something that's I remotely whisper. countercultural, you have to talk like this. Yeah. No. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> But like in California, totally fine. All of my books would be welcome in any tiny library. And here you have to make specific decisions based on the, you know, who's around and what that's going. I am a jerk when it comes to the book, Ejaculate Responsibly. That is in every single tiny library in Green Bay right now. <laughs> and when I go back and check, they're always gone. They're always the first one gone. So That is a book that I... So someone else has taken it or someone has decided to ban it? I'm not sure. I don't care if someone has it in their home. That's the one book that I'm putting in. And also, I'm just shocked here as how many things did not change since I was in high school. I went away for 20 years and came back and so much was the same. And I don't know if you guys had that experience in Michigan or like with moving back to a smaller place. Did you have that experience? Not really, because I think that part of the Midwest that we went back to, like Toledo is such an immigrant city still. So there's always stuff kind of changing, but it's just like, what's the different flavor of it? I just dropped it next door, bomb. I was so good about next door. So (laughs) good. Also, how do you function on next door in your situation? I don't. I just stay away. But I just I put in a poop today. I was like, and so. (laughs) Well, you know, I moved to Detroit, and my neighborhood in Detroit was I don't know when I bought my house. It was I don't know like maybe eighty percent black. Like Detroit's a black city, right? And so I was like, oh. You know, like very optimistic white lady, like Uh I'll be able to join next door. People won't say horrible racist things. Well, guess what? Your next door draws from all of the suburbs that are right around you too. And so it's like, oh my God. 
Yeah. No, and and that was a that was a huge thing. I think in it, where we lived in California, it was so expensive to live. You had to be of active working age. Mm-hmm. So you had to be somewhere between twenty six and thirty eight. Oh. And so that was the makeup of the community, and that's what we got used to. Here, I would say the average is maybe seventy two. And and also just that there's a lot of like. Biden is keeping our borders porous. And I'm like, seriously, we are in northeastern Wisconsin. How is that impacting you? But like, you see it. I walk the dog. I see Fox News in every single living room all the Mm -hmm. way down the road. And that's tough. It is Trump signs and Republican signs and anti-CRT signs. So politically, I have had to learn where when we first moved, I was fighting, I was angry, I was pushing back. And now it's sort of a like, here's how I have to work with my neighbors. Who mm-hmm. Well, when you think about how secure you are in your political viewpoints, you're also raising a couple of girls there. They're going to vote in the presidential election after this one. So what I- do you talk about when you talk about the political surroundings and where they factor into it all? I'm not going to put this on my Facebook because it's going to get me in trouble. But Okay, you're whispering again. I'm whispering again. All right, so (laughs) I get a call from my eighth grader's teacher, and she says, hey, your daughter seems really upset. All right, let me check in. She says, hey, they want me to write an essay about why abortion is wrong. In public school? Uh, No, this is a Catholic school. Okay, all right. So I get it. I get the environment we're in. Yes. I get it. And it was a competition, and she's a very competitive kid. And so how does that all work together when you're like, your mom is totally like pro, don't have babies, seriously, please, just you don't have to if you don't want to. And you've got this environment, which is very Catholic, very anti-abortion. Everybody must have their babies and, and love them. Well, and it's also, I know exactly what contest it is because, you know, we had a kid who graduated from Jesuit high school and Uh there were kids who were entering that essay contest in his school. In this situation, it was, she's a straight A student. She's an athlete. Yes. She did yeah. not want and it's, to. And they all us. have to do the contest. And, and so yeah. you got to do the contest and you got to do the thing. But it was a very big break for her from here's what I know at home and here's what I know out in the world and I can't quite score it. And that's rough, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's that work of parenting older yeah. kids is, yep. You got to decide for yourself what you're going to carry forward. But at eighth grade, that's tough. We -hmm. were in public school in Northern California, tiny, tiny classes, beautiful, beautiful school, very well-funded, like a great tax base, really super. And then, you know, here we would have loved to send our kids to public school, but the public school sizes of the school were so giant. Oh. When you're in fifth and seventh grade, I'm not going to mess with that adjustment on top of a cultural adjustment. So we did smaller, but it's been fascinating just to see some of the damage that causes. They are very white, straight girls. They have an enormous amount of privilege with having a family that loves them and a whole bunch of support behind them. But it is fascinating to me to see in, even in that world, how much crap they're absorbing from Here's Mm -hmm. how you have to take care of your face. Here's how your body has to look. Like, I just thought in the 90s we got a little bit past it, but then, no. (laughs) They just, like, pushed it back. (laughs) Racism wouldn't exist if white people were happy. You know what I mean? Like, if white people were happy just with ourselves, racism wouldn't exist. And just with a lot of the grownups that we've met around here, they have a lot of hate. And some of that hate is ignorant hate, and some of that is not. In California, it was that neighborhood that was very vibrant. You were running into each other at all the places. Yeah, you might not have wanted to, but like it was important. You had social interaction every day. Everyone was walking. Everyone was playing bocce together every week. Like bocce. 
you are but you're bumping into each other at the coffee shop but it had this element of like everyone could afford those things everyone could afford that free time mm-hmm. as i'm looking back at it i'm looking at like hey no there were a whole bunch of people in our town they couldn't afford that yeah like i'm looking back at some time that was considered very very happy and wonderful and perfect and when i square that up with us in this life that doesn't feel so perfect It's all perfect. It's just different elements that we're fitting together. (laughs) There's just a surfeit of perspective that you get. When I look back at how I grew up in New Jersey, there's a perspective that kind of brings peace in a way. I just, I feel, I feel so much luckier now. I I, I take nothing for granted like I used to. And I just don't understand what it is about the American condition that makes it so hard to get there. That just feels like climbing over burning tires and diaper piles to get to that other space. And as a newly middle-aged foxy lady, I have been enjoying all of my foxy middle-aged new hobbies. And one of them has been going down the ancestry rabbit hole, not the DNA one. I'm not quite there yet. Right. And when I looked back, I never had taken it much past my great grandparents, But when I can see that my people are tracked to 12 and 13th great-grandparents to the 1400th, there is a privilege inherent in that. Like, we can track this all the way back. Super white, super part of things. All right, girls, here's what we're going to do with that. But by slicing what is your responsibility outside of your feminine responsibility to caretake, it's tricky, man. Well, at this point, I'd also like to announce, as we know, acronyms do evolve. And FML used to be <laughs> Fuck My Life, and now it's Foxy Middle-Aged Lady. <laughs> I will take it. I will be an um, FML, and I will confuse and annoy my children every time I say that. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for now, especially when they're in their teens. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad we're talking about economics. To what extent were you involved in your parents' transition to assisted living? Um, and what was that like to find a suitable place? So uh, so my mom had had her stroke 10 years ago. They lived in the house that we live in now. It's a five-bedroom, large home. My stepdad is a contractor. He built most of the house himself. He built it as a large turducken of a house, which was a house on top of a house on top of a house. So it is very little of the house we live in is up to code. Very little of the house we live in is safe. It's safe-ish. It is, but like (laughs) our electrical outlets have have a thing and all of the water has a thing and there's right. things everywhere. Fine. Great. We are lucky to be here. We are very <laughs> Doug, I, are you this muted? This is so Wisconsin though. You know, like it's I feel like the Wisconsin DIY. state flower should be a roll of duct tape. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Yeah. So they had done a great job of filling up the turducken of a house. He lived here for 20 years before that. So they filled it all up with all kinds of wonderful things art and religious books and more art and more religious books and so (laughs) some like kitchens appliances there's a lot of those too anyway that was a very intense like a lot of stuff and so they made the decision to go into assisted living about 10 years ago it was like hey we're gonna downsize we're gonna do this and the brunt of that fell on my brother Uh, my brother john helped them downsize their whole house he ended up in that process having a mental health crisis and needed to retire early. Like that is how stressful that process of helping them get into their apartment was. And so they got into their apartment. Again, I was living in California happily this whole time. I flew back to like, look at my old art projects and decide to put them in the dumpster. Yeah. I had very little to do with that. However, parents of their generation move into their assisted living place. They are logged as independent living. Independent living don't have medical staff that come in and check on them. That's basically like an apartment within an assisted living space. They refuse to go to assisted living, and I don't blame them. So what we have done is found additional caregivers 
from different spaces that come in and supplement their care. But we are now at a crux where they need more care. And between the like supplemental care and me, we got to figure something else out. But also, as you know about people from Wisconsin are incredibly tight-fisted. So they're not going to spend an extra dollar. They don't have to. So it's how do you work within that cultural piece to help them have good care and help them have a successful end of life time. It's stressful, man. And are you the sole counter negotiator in this whole experience or are your brothers helping out with that? Because they can do that at least from Florida. Yes. And, and again, they help on some level. My brother from Florida is coming to help her go through her extra storage unit this season. They've got a thing. It's, it's all set up. And I appreciate that help. But it is not the, hey, your stepdad has a bloody nose that's not ending. You need to take him to urgent care right now. And those things are happening more and more frequently where I have, I have a job, man. It's just very stressful about like, hey, who's going to do this when I also have to take my 15-year-old on driving lessons and I've also got to get my 14-year-old to soccer practice. How do you fit that all in? My mom gave me an article yesterday when I went over there and she said, here, this is all about time management and like how you can better manage your time. Here, this is- Oh, and it was no, and it was a Q&A and it was a, hi, I'm in my mid forties and I have elderly parents and I have teenage kids and I am losing my mind. And the fucking person said back, I'm whispering again, Doug, the fucking person <laughs> said back, you need to schedule yourself some more time. You need to prioritize yourself. You need to make sure you get to the gym. You need to make sure you see your friends. And that is all awesome advice, but like, like, fuck when. Who would say that? Who would publish that? It was in some a, USA Today. Was it Marilyn Vosavant? Because, you know, she's the most intelligent woman in the world, you know. Is Parade Magazine still around? That, that's that media that my parents are consuming. It is, is of that level. As that USA Today and as that local news has gone right and right and right and right and far yeah. right, like yeah. it's you have to counteract that other stuff. So hey, we- Helen Jane, just go to the gym before the kids wake up, and then you can make them breakfast, and then you can take them to work, and then you can do it because you prioritize yourself at the beginning of the day. Right, like go into your magic tote bag and pull out some extra and pull hours. out some time. Yes. And like <laughs> Mary Poppins pulls the lamp totally, out of her carpet bag. Totally. <laughs> and so that was basically the advice. And it was like, at what point do I prioritize myself over this elderly woman that needs help? Over this 14-year-old who's going through a breakup? Over this 16-year-old that needs to learn to drive? Over this husband who was laid off and like needs some emotional support? Because what I have noticed, it comes after I get very ill. It comes after I get COVID. It comes after I am down with a sprained ankle. Like my body tries to tell me like, hey, this is too much. And then I have an excuse. But like I am not seeing on the wide horizon of advice for Gen X women who are handling both sides any useful information. I'm not finding a bit. Because there's no useful information to give. The no. useful information is change the fucking system. Yeah. Get us some help. Change things structurally. There's not a single thing one person can do. You're just as likely to be able to pull three extra hours out of a tote bag as you are to somehow fit things in so that nothing gets screwed over in the process. It's impossible. I would really like to use those three hours out of my tote bag to like watch some trashy Netflix. Yeah. And instead it is constant like meal preparation, caring, considering, uh, coordinating, like 
self-care is not bathing for me. Bathing is something I have to do. Like right. it is not, <laughs> right. like putting on makeup is a thing I have to do. I take no joy in it. And it's another tax because I'm a woman on my time. And so like, that's the kind of stuff that it is very challenging to be in the middle of that with teen girls. I don't know how to untangle it. And you're not as socially embedded as you might like to be either. I mean, you can't schedule a night out with a bunch of women who feel the same way and blow off some steam. You have to appear on podcasts for that. And by the way, <laughs> if you'd like to be a recurring guest on this show, <laughs> you have an open invitation. So I would love let's, that. Let's, miss, <laughs> let's Mr. Rogers this. What do you do with the mad that you feel? How You know what I mean? Oh, the best question ever. Um, what do I do with the mad you feel? You can stomp, stomp, stomp. Well, one of the things I did in St. Helena was that I taught art at the Community Art Center. And I did sip and paints, which doesn't necessarily seem like teaching art, but it was. It was getting grown-ups comfortable with their creative. Well, yeah, because even touch. people like me, I mean, I'm convinced I can't draw or paint or do anything like that, but I'll come to a sip and paint. Right, exactly. You yeah. kind of get coached through it a piece. Right. And so that was a way that I was able to <laughs> Doug, kind of feel this like... I am a human. People appreciate my skills. It is not just like running you down to the nub. I'm going to take, take, take. It was this like, hey, you have something to offer. I appreciate that. And I don't have that in a lot of other places where folks are like that. But recently did a paint night with a bunch of middle schoolers. And it was a blast. And it was as close to burning off steam as I could get. I recently met a woman at a New Year's party who has a book club that I'm excited to join. I was so excited to join it. I read the book. I like promoted it. I was all about it. And I put it in my calendar for the day after the book club. (gasps) Oh, no. And I was like, I have not had literary friends for three years. I was so looking forward to it. And what I was missed the book? It. it was the octopus one. The, oh, I um, loved that book. What is it called? Uh, the, remarkably bright creatures. Remarkably bright really creatures. smart animals or something. Yeah. Shelby remarkably, So like, what yeah, a great book, an, right? I joined an in-person book club here where I'm feeling like a fish out of water. And we talked about that book. And I got the middle-aged brain where like my mom got all the good stuff. My kids got the next set of good stuff. My husband got the next set of good stuff. And me getting to go to this book club I was really looking forward to. And I didn't get the good stuff. Like it was just one of those like beautiful encapsulations of like what needs to change. Yeah. Um, Because I was so ready to talk about that book. You have no idea. (laughs) Right. Well, it's clear. You've got some guest rooms. You've got five bedrooms in your house. So I'm going to drive up over the bridge, pick up your brother, make our way to Wisconsin, and we're going to do like a week, a full week of extra horsepower to move things around, throw things out, make meatballs, whatever you need. One of the things that we were just laughing about is that my husband and I have no idea how to use a chainsaw. Oh, Doug does. I bought a chainsaw at Aldi. And Doug came and used my chainsaw for me. It seems so cool. And it seems like something that like every human should know how to use. But like we moved here after a lifetime of renting and just have no like to use a chainsaw. <laughs> like that is the level that we're at. And so it is it is a challenge to like also feel real stupid a lot of the time in a place where everyone's incredibly home handy. Like they know about nature and they know about this. They've grown up here. They have many generations of folks that have been here with them. Um, but well, we, you know, when you're super stressed, you know, the answer is often enormous power tools. That's, <laughs> I feel like I could be real good with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm standing there and there was a chainsaw and I was like, I really need to have some stuff chainsawed in my yard. I am terrified to use this. And I was like, oh, I'll just get Doug to come over and chainsaw. And he did. <laughs> I love that you're using chainsaw as a verb as well. That you're like, we're going to chainsaw this. Say with it? That's how I use it. I'm like, I've got that tree fell down. We need to chainsaw it. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how. And, uh, and <laughs> well, otherwise, people might think you're talking about hacksawing it. 
or whatever other kind right. of saws there are. are table sawing it. Yeah, right. they don't know. We don't know. And then you catch yourself. <laughs> yes. Oh, I forgot to take the safety off. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, I'm missing a right hand. Oh, no. Cripes. <laughs> this podcast is, that's its main goal is to just reconnect with people and kind of keep the conversation alive. And I totally, I just love the idea that we have these conversations with people, even at conferences. How often do you get a one-on-one with someone like this? I, I, there is a friend of ours or two friends of ours that are from that time and the blogging time. And it was Margaret Detweller. You know her at all? Tuesday night. Yep. Yep. Tonight. And we've got Lori Smithwick, right? Oh yeah. Great people. So I was at Alt Summit a couple years ago. And I was in a back room and Margaret and I were talking about our parents, how we are just trying to get through it. And she said, you're going to miss that. So I just want you to appreciate those things about them before they're gone. And it was such, I have not had a grown up tell me something like that in a very serious tone of voice. And so that when you're talking about conferences and you're talking about that kind of thing, it was like so good to have that memory of like somebody saying, hey, you're going to appreciate these annoying things about them when they're gone. Don't get too shitty about it. That's fascinating. Yeah. Just the idea of empty nesting. It goes both ways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you won't get any more USA Today clippings about (laughs) conjuring more time in your calendar. Yeah, but the problem is it's going to be sad that Helen Jane's mother died instead of the columnist who wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whenever I find it's a good time to stop whenever we start plotting murder. That's, that that tracks. That tracks. I have to go get some food on the table for my teenagers. And so I appreciate your time. Thank you guys for letting me talk. Well, before we go, I really wanted to ask you, well, okay. first of all, I wanted to say thank you very much for coming on to talk about this. And when we think about where else you express yourself online, I know you're working a lot, but I still see you on Instagram and so forth periodically. Where can we find you online to uh, hear more about what uh, Helen Jane Hearn is planning party-wise or otherwise? <laughs> you can always find me. On Instagram at M-L-L-E Helen Jane. The most... Mademoiselle, yes. Yes. What I post there is mostly my weekly meal plans. I've been doing it for 20 years. And it's because I feel like meal planning is a huge part of keeping a busy life in order. And so that's a big part of where I find my joy. I don't think we have a notice more healthy selfies. There have been is, a lot more healthy selfies, <laughs> which is what happens when you which make Which is your, what should be, how it should be, absolutely. Totally. And then you can also find me on, you know, I'm on the Pinterest, I'm on the Facebook. You can find me at Helen Jane Hearn on all of those things. But for the most part, I'm on Instagram. And again, I'm not an influencer. I am just a lady making it work. So if that appeals to you, I'm your gal. For all your FML needs. <laughs> all right. I can't wait to talk to you more. And thank you, Doug, for being wonderful. You're, you guys are great. Oh, thank thank you. you. Great to talk to you. And listeners, thank you for listening to episode 35 of the When the Flames Go Up podcast with Magda Pechenyazarin and me, Doug French. Our guest has been Helen Jane Hearn, a dynamo in any circumstance. When the Flames Go Up is a production of Halfway Noodles, LLC, and is available at all usual platforms and at whentheflamesgoup.substack.com. Please subscribe there for our weekly episode, which drops every Wednesday, and our Friday Flames newsletter, which comes out on Fridays. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with episode 36. Until then, bye-bye. 